All right, all right, all right. This is Dan Mecca. Welcome to the B-Side, a spin-off pod from the Film Stage show for thefilmstage.com. Here we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but rather the ones they made in between. On this episode, I had the pleasure of having two guests calling in to talk Kate Blanchett. We have Gavin Mevius, talented editor and co-host of an excellent film podcast called The Mix Reviews, and Karen Kammerly, social media editor for Decider and prolific movie watcher. Please rate, review, and if you have not subscribed, subscribe to The Film Stage Show for new episodes of The B-Side and other episodes of The Film Stage Show, which reviews movies that have just come out, big and small. We're going to drop you right into this thing where Gavin, Karen, and I talk about our old days doing bar movie trivia. And a special shout out to future guest Corey Everett, who I neglected to mention while talking about the good old trivia days. Apologies, Corey. We'll be hearing from him soon. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. This is a movie trivia reunion, um, though we be in two different cities. It's nice to, to be together in, in audio, uh, at the very least. Uh, we feel like Gavin, we're all holding hands. Uh-huh. I know. The three of us were, I think we could say, the three best members of <laughs> an impossibly good uh, bar movie trivia team in Brooklyn for at least, what, two years? Yeah. Take that, Ehrlich. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dave Ehrlich was part of our team, though he's, he faded out. He got busy. Much like his career. No one knows who he is, right? No? You're going to cut that out? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> no, we're going to keep it in. And um, Jordan Raup, who uh, I started the, f- uh, the film stage with in college, a good friend of mine for many years, he would be like a common sub. Connor O'Donnell, who's a frequent guest, um, future guest, Teresa Scott. Uh, producer in New York City is was also on the team, so we had it was an all star team. So it's nice to be with uh, the two all starriest of the all stars. <laughs> who we're talking about? Kate Blanchett today. Speaking of all stars, Mel- <laughs> exactly Melbourne's own Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. and um, a bunch of kind of weird movies she made after. I guess so. I mean, jumping into it, right? Her first, her like big. The U.S. being like, who is this person movie was Elizabeth, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Coming out of the gate, Oscar nom. Oscar nom out the gate, November 1998, Joseph Fiennes. That was the Shakespeare in Love year. <laughs> mm-hmm. may, may we never forget. And um, So many queens that year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a year of queens. That's true. It was, it was a year mm-hmm. of queens. Um, and then so that was kind of like, who is this? It was it was her third movie, Box Office Mojo tells me, which is kind of crazy. So you're right, Karen. Definitely like just out of nowhere, kind of. And then the two movies. So the way we did this is I basically picked three movies that I thought were interesting B-sides. And Karen and Gavin picked two movies that they that they wanted to talk about. So betwixt us, we have these five movies at different points in her career. The, 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 the three that I was interested in is Pushington, 
and an ideal husband from 1999 and then a little movie called bandits uh directed by mr barry levinson from 2001 and then Karen, you had The Missing, Ron mm-hmm. Howard, and Robin Hood by Mr. Ridley Scott. So kind of Hell a weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a weird, a weird mix of movies that I think does speak to like Kate Blanchett's strange, I guess her versatility as an actress, but also strange career choices. Some hit, some didn't. I think most of these didn't. Right? Are any of these a hit? Not really. Uh, I mean, should have been. My gosh. Like, you watched Robin Hood, the craftsmanship that went into that. Bandits. Oh, my gosh. She sings, like, two songs. She's really great at Bandits. I mean. She is. What are the songs? Bandits, it's like, is it? Holding out for a hero. Yes. And they sing Total Eclipse of the Heart in the car, right? Yeah. Yeah. those, Those are, like, the two. Holding out for the hero is her amazing moment where she's like cooking an amazing dinner yeah. in that mm-hmm. kitchen. It was a trivia question once. <laughs> See, and it all comes back around. I love it. I love it. Um, pardon me if you hear sniffles. I'm dying and currently of a cold. So if I, if this may be the last recorded episode, so I just want I, to thank. I think it's a testament to your greatness, Dan. It really is. Yeah, <laughs> just make sure, you, make sure you hit send uh, before you do. And really, you know, your dedication to Kate Blanchett. Yes, Absolutely. I mean, if we can't talk about Kate Blanchett, I was saying on the last episode uh, me and Connor did about Matthew McConaughey that we had not done a female actress yet. So I am happy and so um, uh, grateful that we're doing someone as great as uh, as Kate Blanchett. So I mean, it pales in comparison to McConaughey. Okay, let's talk about mud for a second. Uh, the little so this is our podcast on mud. <laughs> Specifically. Our podcast. I mean, if, if I had my way, this would be a four-hour podcast on Carol. It'd be twice as long as the movie <laughs> oh Carol. But Pushing Tin. Let's jump into it. Pushing Tin, directed by Mike Newell. This is a weird movie now. So quick Pushing Tin story. There's a book I love called What Just Happened? which is written oh, yeah. by uh, Art Linson, who's a producer. He's an eclectic producer. He's been around for a long, long time. Um, he, write, he wrote this book, What Just Happened. It got made into a movie um, starring Robert De Niro uh, that's like loosely based on, on this book, which is basically true stories in produ- producing. It's about his tenure in the back half of the 1990s where he had, a, he had, a, he had an overall producing deal with Fox. And one of the movies he made was Pushing Tin, and I remember his big thing in the chapter about Pushing Tin is it was one of the most highest-testing movies he ever produced, and everybody loved it in, in, the, you know, in the testing, and the scores were really, really high, and then it came out and nobody saw it. And the the point of the story was like, you know, that that William Goldman quote, nobody knows anything, right, when it comes to Hollywood. So, I mean, you know, for 1999, I feel like this was kind of a stacked cast. You had John Cusack, who was still a movie star. You had Billy Bob Bob Thornton, who was coming off of Sling Blade and kind of hot, right, Oscar nominated, was was in Armageddon, you know what I mean, was in things. Mm -hmm. And then young Angelina Jolie and young Kate Blanchett, who was also coming off an Oscar nomination. And uh, and nobody saw it. It made $8 million. It cost $33. We might be the only four people on earth talking about it. (laughs) Four people. The only three people talking about it right now. So I don't know. I mean, did anybody else watch this except for me? Um, Yeah. Oh, I watched it. 
I thought it was a little long, but <laughs> I mean, you know, everyone's great and obviously having a great time. I would put that scene in the diner where John Cusack is reorders the air traffic controller's food as one of my top 10 Cusack <laughs> moments in cinema. It is a great Cusack moment. I mean, it's a great Cusack role, right, Gavin? Well, have you seen this movie? Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't rewatch it for this podcast, but I saw it religiously on HBO as a kid. It played oh, yeah. so many times. Um, and it's funny because that's the thing I always walk away from that movie with. It's like, I mean, it's the it's the first time you get Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton together, who eventually married. But like the real MVP of that movie is Cusack, and it, it's easy to forget based on what he does nowadays, like how good he can be. But he's really good in Pushing Tin, which is a may, maybe a movie that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> well, and the basic premise. I mean, it's such it's one of these movies where it, it is a little, you know, and I, I can't really remember how Art Linson describes how it kind of came to be. I think it was just a good script, but it's a strange premise, right? It's it's basically the lives of air traffic controllers. And obviously it's a very stressful job. Right. That's what the movie's about. And, you know, Cusack's like the hotshot air traffic controller, which is such a weird thing to say. And then <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton comes in and is like re- he's like too cool for school. He's got right. a young hot wife. He's got that Native he- American feather out of his cap. Yeah, he's like he does crazy things like wears weird hats and <laughs> he talks about weird things and John Cusack just can't handle it. And Kate Blanchett's John Cusack's neglected wife. Yeah. She's just- kind of wasted in it. Which well that's what I was gonna say. You you rarely see her play the put-upon wife exactly. role anymore unless it is something like Carol, and which she's put upon for different reasons. Right. But, but, like, this, yeah, this movie is kind of a, you know, like, she was a pretty face and a big Oscar-winning name. And that's, I mean, but... Well, it's also sort of a showy supporting, yeah. you know, wife role. She gets to sing right. that weird little opera number with Cusack, <laughs> like how he like woos her back at the end. She right. gets to have she gets the laugh in the big air uh, the airplane scene where it's like turbulence and John Cusack's desperately trying to get into the cockpit because he thinks Billy Bob is messing with him and she goes, Get a glass of water, geez, you know. <laughs> and she's got this like great accent. In it, you know. That's true. I guess it is really showy. I guess I hadn't thought about it, but it still feel it still feels like the role is doesn't necessitate somebody. And I know she was she was starting out, but doesn't necessitate right. a Blanchett. You know, mm-hmm. it is. It's. I mean, it also doesn't necessitate like a Joey Lauren Adams or anything right. either. Yeah. But like a Judy Greer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I guess also, like, when I was watching it, and this might speak more to, like, just me watching it with my memory, like, I remember Angelina Jolie popping more in the movie, and I almost think the movie, like, maybe Mike Newell thought that when he was directing Mm -hmm. it, you know, where the camera, like, clearly loves Angelina Jolie, and I think this was must have been the same year as, or it was right before Girl Interrupted, or no, it's the same year, no, it's the same exact year, so eight months later... That's a this is wow, ninety nine is a really big year for Angelina Jolie. She makes Playing by Heart, which is that weird ensemble movie. Yeah, with that dying. We all remember playing by heart. Gina Rowland. Sean Connery's in it. Oh yeah. Stewart. Weird movie. Um Everybody's favorite duo, Sean Connery and John Stewart. (laughs) Everybody's favorite actor, Dugray Scott, which is gonna be the 
gonna be the line of this podcast forever. Is Gavin Gavin's line during the uh, what was the episode? Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. About Duke, everybody's favorite. Can, actor, I still Scott. to this day think about like, would do Greg Scott have Hugh Jackman's career had he been Wolverine? Just say, just say. I mean, think about Ever After. He should explode it out of that. <laughs> yes, I agree. See, we talked you, about Ever yeah. After. See, you remember Ever After too. I'm not the only one. Uh, of course, everyone remembers Ever After. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. The about. classic Ever After. But then, so and then November, it's the Bone Collector. Mm. Zell. Right. Zell. This movie, Hell's Kitchen, which might have just been a, like a release, a sneaky little release. I've never actually heard of Hell's Kitchen. And then Daredevil uh, works there. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Girl Interrupted, which she wins the Oscar for. So kind of a crazy year. Um, all right, but then so I, yeah, pushing pushing ten. What more is there to say? I mean, Kate Blanchett has a couple moments. Right. Kind of gets overshadowed, and then you know I think. You know, it just speaks to. I, here's my thing. I said this to. Um, I said this to Connor. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, with Matthew McConaughey, we were talking about Larger Than Life, which came out that Bill Murray movie. <laughs> I remember yeah, that. Yeah, with the elephant. Yeah, and and how he must have made that movie before A Time to Kill, mm-hmm. because even though I think it came out after, because it feels like the type of thing that he might have not accepted. Like, you know what I mean? So right. I wonder that with Pushington, like, did she book Pushington before Elizabeth exploded? You know, and then it comes out, I, the movie studio is lucky because they have Kate Blanchett now in their movie where, you know what I mean? She wasn't the act, you know, she wasn't a movie star before, you know, when they were filming it. I would almost think that, and I know this sounds crazy, and I don't know if it's due to Blanchett's confidence, but I, I feel like that sort of thing is never a factor in her decision to do something. Because if you look at, like, like look at the movie that's coming out in, a, you know, soon, The House with Clocks in Its Walls. Like, it's probably, if you're listening, it's probably already out. Yeah, why, like, why would she choose, like, she doesn't have to do that. So, like, I think that she just sort of chooses whatever she thinks is going to be a thing. Oh, and, you know, that I mean, that movie in particular is a mom role. Like, yeah. you want your kids to see your movie. Yeah. I mean, I believe, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, Marvel guys, but uh, that's why she did Thor. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Solid point. But she also got to, like, speaking of Year of Queens, she got to, <laughs> she, and she was she like. She do a lot of stuff in that. <laughs> Antlers on her head. But it's a good point when you look at her career, speaking of these movies we we're talking about, and we can use this as a segue into probably the movie we'll talk about the least of these five, but, you know, an, an ideal husband feels like the movie she probably, she pro- I would imagine she gets offered a lot of these types of roles after Elizabeth, which is, you know, period dramas. This is more of a drama comedy, obviously an ideal husband, which is based on the Oscar Wilde play directed by Oliver Parker. Um, I enjoyed this movie. Rupert Everett is the ostensible lead, but Jeremy Northam is basically, he plays a politician who is married to Kate Blanchett, who's this like angelic figure is kind of the idea. And um, Julianne Moore shows up with this secret from Jeremy Northam's past that threatens to disrupt his whole idyllic uh, perception by the people and he's this up and coming politician and blah 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 and Rupert Everett is his best friend who's like a cad and doesn't give a shit about the social norms kind of playing like the Oscar Wilde type in the right. in, in the movie 
and uh, and basically Rupert Everett tries to use his charms and wiles to help his moralistic friend Jeremy Northam um, and then Mini Driver's also in it in kind of a sadly wasted <laughs> role as in- that's the that's the asterisk to her career, which I'm saying as a fan of Mini Driver, but like, and Mini Driver is also in it. I know, and it's so sad. She's so good in Go Hunting. I would like almost love to do an episode, and I guess it wouldn't. She wouldn't. You wouldn't call her a movie star, but she's good. Besides, she's good in everything. In she career. Has. Yeah, she's great and speechless. Speechless. I mean, uh, Circle of Friends, the movie that like launched her, like so good. Like, gosh, remember that movie that she did with Dave Duchovny where he had the he got her husband's heart? Yes. Oh, my God. To oh, Return to Me? I like that Directed movie. by Bonnie Hunt. Oh, my gosh. Get her in the director's I chair more often. The <laughs> oh, Bonnie Hunt. If there was ever a, a, a B-side director. I don't yeah. know if she ever directed another movie. But, um, yeah, I mean, this movie, Oliver Parker, you know, is a capable director. He kind of – he, he – has a career of movies like this. He directed right. a version of Othello. He's an actor in his own right. He did I, one of the Johnny English movies, lest you forget. I was going to say, the, the, this movie is good, and I don't mean to disparage it, but the better version of this movie is two years later, Oliver Parker does The Importance of Being Earnest. And it's like a more faithful adaptation of the original and just feels... I, it's so much fun and feels everything... Every direction was right in that movie where this one feels like a couple odd. Like, he overcomplicates the plot for some reason in Ideal Husband. The original plot is much simpler, and he decided to add a bunch of... He added the bet at the end, and it's... Yeah, it's, it's like, too much for some reason. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, Rupert Everett is the standout. Obviously, he was in his own right coming off of that amazing performance in My Best Friend's Wedding, which I love that movie, Forever and Always. Absolutely. And um, and he's amazing in that. So he this this was kind of his chance, and obviously, sadly, you know, he, he never, n- not unlike Mini Driver, actually, he kind of never popped. But once again, for Kate Blanchett, kind of not, you know, not, not a standout performance. I think she kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Jeremy Northam similarly kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Not really. He, as an actor, that guy never, I don't know. He, he's good, but never had the star power, right? Yeah. Jeremy Northam, yeah. like he never. I mean, Winslow Boy, it was a big hit for him. Yeah. But, I mean, my personal favorite Jeremy Northam movie is Gosford Park. Yeah. You know, as part of an ensemble, he's very good. I mean, he's always at yeah. the piano, singing. And Gosford Park <laughs> is a genuine masterpiece. Oh, I love so. that movie. Gosford yeah. Park is, I mean, it's no clue. but it's <laughs> And I mean that. And I, Gavin, I know you know that I mean that. And yes. You agree with me. We all do, right? Karen, you're a big clue head, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Flames, 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 flames. on the side of my face. <laughs> Um, and then, so what's next? I guess it's Bandits. Yeah. Let's jump into Bandits. Now, I, now I'll be honest. I've seen this movie a weirdly a lot of times, probably maybe like with Gavin and, and uh, Pushing Tin. I don't know why, but this movie's just been in my life for a while. Uh, Dude, you're a huge the, Bruce Willis fan. Just I was going to say I'm a huge U2 fan, apparently. Because <laughs> that fucking song, Beautiful Day, plays like four separate times in this movie, which I totally forgot about. Mm-hmm. This movie really leans on the U2. Um, but yeah, Bruce Willis, the wig work here is... Um, <laughs> yeah, golly. You know, it's it's <laughs> the not wig great. Work. 
the wig work's not great. Um, but he's doing all right. Basically, they're they're like nice bank robbers, which is weird because we were talking about the Newton boys in the last episode, uh, which is also their nice bank I robbers. I love the Newton boys. I could talk about that movie for like oh, Karen, hours. You should have you should have been on our McConaughey. <laughs> you could have defended the Newton boys. Me and Connor were pretty dismissive of it. Uh, Apologies. What? What of uh, that ensemble cast you got? Uh, well, this isn't the, the Newton Boys podcast. This is. <laughs> Why don't you go? T- just take your one minute on Newton Boys. Oh Talk my about gosh! It. You got Skeet Ulrich. You got Vincent D'Onofrio. You got Juliana Margulies in a very rare big screen performance. I mean, it's a link later. It's fun. We're having a good time. A We're in Texas, his home base. It's great. Yeah, I mean. I just wish – the thing I said about it is I wish there was, like, more conflict. It's literally, like, oh, yeah, no. just nice bank robbers. I just wish there was a little bit more. I mean, but, you know, yeah. Ethan Hawke talks him out of a lot of trouble, likes the liquor. <laughs> and it is – Vincent D'Onofre, I will say, is he's, like, he – you know, he's, like, a different person back then. He, yeah. Right? He's, like, slim and handsome. and <sighs> Not that he's so not handsome, handsome in his – you know his big burly, you know whatever daredevil mm-hmm. look, but it's a it's like a it's a whole different person. Uh, um, fun, funny. Uh, well, not funny. Probably sad side story. I once waited when I was an intern in New York. I waited an hour to go meet Vincent D'Onofrio when he was doing a criminal intent signing, and I brought my copy of the Newton Boys for him to sign, and I quoted one of my favorite lines from the Newton Boys to to him. When uh, he kicks down the door, he goes, let me give you the two-step method, one step, and then he like kicks down the door and he shoots a shotgun, and it's a great moment. And that's what I Wait, said to Vincent when I had the chance to talk to him. what did he say? Was he He was, was just he like, nice oh, yeah. And then I handed him the DVD thing for him to sign, and he was like, can I sign over Ethan Hawke's face? And I was like, of course. But in my head, I was like, no, I love you both. But they're like friends like IRL, so... It's and you fun. know that because of his like weird Skype cameo in the movie Sinister that I guarantee he shot in his house. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's I mean, right. I for, he's like the agent in Sinister. Yeah. Every penny counts, you know. Jumping back into Miss Kate Blanchett, I I think she's actually really good in Bandits. I feel like this is a movie where um, the role is not great. She's obviously like jostling between these two guys, and it's like. That's the whole premise of the movie. Billy Bob Thornton is neurotic and doing like a Woody Allen type of a thing. And, you know, Bruce Willis is playing the Bruce Willis role. And she's basically – she inadvertently becomes these two bank robbers' captor. And their whole thing is they're the – what are they? They're like the they're like the overnight bandit, the sleepover, sleepover bandits. Bandit. Yeah. Because they go to the bank manager's house the night before they rob the bank and they like – hang out in the house with the bank manager and then they go to work with the bank manager the next day and that makes robbing the bank really easy and it's so cool <laughs> and it's like a cool movie where they do that type of stuff and um, and Kate Blanchett's kind of the neglected housewife who <laughs> literally hits Billy Bob Thornton with a car and then it ends up becoming a love triangle between these three people and I think she does so much with that role that you got to give her a lot of credit, like mm-hmm. you know the singing, the dancing, the comedy. I think she, I think she's good in this. Yeah, and it ends in a throuple. They all end up together at that weird which guy's wedding. Fun. Yeah, which I forgot, and I that weird guy, Jane Fonda's son. Oh, 
Apologies to Jane. <laughs> Jane. Oh, Jane. And a young January Jones is who he marries, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Also, like, Bruce Willis also has this really gross line about, like, the Kate Blanchett character when he's, like, so enamored with her and he's trying to, like, talk to Billy Bob Thornton's character. And he says, I don't know, is it some something in her saliva when we kiss? She seems to have sort of, like, an excess of it. Do you know the line I'm talking about that's, like, a little yeah, it's, it's so... It's so weird now. <laughs> and, and, and it must have been weird then, right? I mean, you know, golly, think. Right? I mean, it must have been weird then. I, like, I don't know. But it happens, and you deal with it, and that's what it is. I mean, it's like – and then, but then you're right, though, because then Billy Bob Thornton also, like, he, like, he kisses – Kate Blanchett and like agrees with Bruce Willis. Right. It's like it's like a running thing in the movie. Well, because the comparison that they have is that when they kiss each other, there's an appropriate amount of saliva <laughs> between Billy Bob and Bruce. Which I thought was kind of good for that movie, having that scene where they kiss each other in, uh, in Bandits when Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton kiss each other. Yeah, it's shocking. Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, I don't know, so I guess my question would be and this is kind of this has been an overarching question with all these episodes. Is there ever a point here where Kate Blanchett becomes an actual movie star? Like, does Kate Blanchett ever become the type of actress who can lead a movie and the movie makes money? I don't know that she does. Yeah, I mean, not any blockbuster, surely. No. I mean, Blue Jasmine you have, but that was only a handful of years ago. Right. I mean, I went to see that movie because, oh, Kate Blanchett doing Woody Allen Streetcar. Right. And I mean, but that's exact. But I guess my that's the point, right? Is like, because then you have The Missing, which is one that Karen, you were super wanted to talk about, which I think that's almost like, um, that that's like a shot for her to be a movie star and lead this Western that's, you know, directed by Ron Howard and has Tommy Lee Jones and Aaron Eckhart's in it. I mean, it has definitely, like, the right cast, and it's basically Ron Howard's version of The Searchers. I think it's underrated. The movie didn't do too well. Um, There was obviously a hope that it would, you know, be an Oscar type of a movie. That didn't happen either. And I think, yeah, it kind of speaks to... I don't know that she ever became... A Matthew McConaughey or a Keanu Reeves or anything like that, or even an Angelina Jolie, right? Angelina obviously right, yeah. became a movie star in her own right, leading movies. But it, but I do think there is <clears throat> this is going to sound so kind of crappy of me, but I do, I do think there is a power to her sort of IP. Like you mentioned that like you went and saw Blue Jasmine because it was Kate Blanchett doing you know Woody Allen Streetcar essentially, but the I do think that there is a certain draw when you see Kate Blanchett's name. And I almost think of things like Lord of the Rings, where like I think there is a subset of people who, when they think of Lord of the Rings, they think of like her and Ian McKellen and basically like whatever. Like I, I really feel hard pressed to find the people that, that like think Elijah Wood when they, when they think Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's a good point. So I do think there is a, a like a brand that comes with her that you know that she, like when she does something there's a certain prestige to it right. so it so might not be the biggest box office draw but there is like right. a qu- like she's like a stamp of quality right it's going to be worth your time yes yeah and i think this is probably a dated example now 
but it's kind of like I feel like in the '90s with like a Sean Penn, where yeah, you know, he never became, you know, Tom Cruise, and obviously they came up together. You know what I mean? And they, you know, in the in the early '80s, and Tom Cruise became Tom Cruise. And I don't think Sean Penn ever was able to lead a movie the way Tom Cruise was as a movie star. But I think for a long part of his career, at least, when Sean Penn was in a movie. There was this idea that it was elevated because mm-hmm. he was this lofty performer, and right. even a movie, you know, a misjudged movie like I Am Sam, he added some sort of gravitas to because it was him. Whereas, like, if another actor had done that, it would have been dismissed, right, completely. And I think to that point, you're right. I think Kate Blanchett has something like that, where, like you're saying, Karen, oh, she's in Blue Jasmine. That, that's going to be worth watching for her performance alone. And it was, right? I mean, obviously. And um, I think she adds that to, if you look at the filmography in general, I mean, she added that to I'm Not There, right? She right. added that to Curious Case of Benjamin Button, right? She added that to Robin Hood, which we'll talk about in a minute. You know, she definitely comes into these movies. I would argue she adds that to Hannah and her... I was, I was actually just going to say Hannah, mm-hmm. so cover up. Like, I mean, even like notes on a scandal, you know? Yeah, right, so right. So that's an underrated movie, I feel like. Yeah. And also how many women, how many people can pull off playing an elf? Like right, right. she, you know, every I, every bit that celestial elf being I was going to say it, it helps that she um seems to have an inner light that just peers yeah. <laughs> out from beneath her skin. The skin is flawless. I really want to know what she does. Even if it's bathing in the blood of virgins, I think we'll all agree that it was a masterful performance. <laughs> Yeah, Kate Blanchett, for whatever reason, maybe just speaks to her acting abilities. She's able to just play all these different emotions kind of on the drop of a dime. And then, like, with The Missing, that's a great – I mean, that's what she's doing. I mean, she's this mother, yeah. right? She's this mother she's whose daughter is taken. She's a rough, like, frontier woman. She is a healer. You know, it's it's the movie it has a really interesting sort of blend of like mysticism and like brutality because her daughter, who played by Evan Rachel Wood, is taken by a band of deserting soldiers as well as like Apache scouts and also this witch named El Brujo, who like effing skins and like basically smokes Aaron Eckhart's uh, like ranch hand alive and uh it's you know it's totally a departure from sort of that ethereal you know elf thing she's like dirt on the face she's you know going after a child she's telling tommy lee jones what's what she and her youngest daughter played by jenna boyd who i don't think matured into yeah i mean i don't think it's you know, working currently today. No. <laughs> not, not for lack of trying, I'm sure. But, you know, it's them on a horse. A, you know, horses, like, going across the New Mexico frontier. You know, <laughs> the witch casts a spell on Cape Blanchett halfway during the movie, and she gets smallpox, you know, or some sort of, like, smallpox-looking thing. And, you know, she's basically wielding the shotgun, you know, and Evan Rachel Wood is, like, with another... Uh, pack of women who've been captured also elizabeth moss is in that group and i I mean spoiler alert i guess sorry she kills herself when evan rachel wood is trying to make this like big escape um away from 
this group of bad men. It's like, it's really good. It's a really great movie. It's Ron Howard. It's a little too long. It's like two to 20. And that's the asterisk to Ron Howard's career. Yeah. It's a little yeah, too Ron long. Howard, yeah. I think that's a common. But, you know, I think it always seemed like just from the way the, this movie was made, speaking to Ron Howard, that he's super proud of this movie. Like this and was should be. Definitely. Yeah. And I agree. I, I really like this movie as well. And um, I think Cape, I think it's definitely one of Cape Blanchett's best performances, most underrated performances. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a really underseen film. I remember seeing it a bunch on in like the used DVD section of Blockbuster when I was younger, but like, but other than that, I don't I don't even remember it being in theaters. Yeah, I, it really came and went. I mean, like I said, twenty seven million. It was an Oscar. You know, there was an idea of Oscar, and obviously, it didn't happen worldwide. It made thirty eight, right? So, didn't really hit anywhere else. You know, I think it just came at a weird time. You know, oh three, what have you. Um, but yeah, everything Karen said is true. I mean, it's like it's 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 basically Ron Howard's The Searchers by way of Unforgiven with Kate Blanchett doing the heavy lifting. And I think one thing about Ron Howard you can definitely say is, you know, the guy gets a lot of flack, I think kind of unfairly, mm-hmm. but he's a great actor's director, which would make sense yeah. because he was an actor first, obviously, in his career. And I think this is a movie where directorially, visually, he's trying a lot of interesting things oh that gosh, he doesn't yes. always try. And and then also, you know, letting Kate Blanchett just do her thing is so huge and I think really like – you know, ends up, you know, uh, yeah, I hope people watch it. Like, I hope people listen to this and watch it and like it because it's underseen. It's definitely underseen. And the the next year, she would win her first Oscar mm-hmm. for Martin Scorsese's movie, The Aviator, which is, which I will say is my personal favorite Martin Scorsese movie and one of my favorite movies ever made. Your I love favorite Scorsese movie? It's, it's my favorite Scorsese movie and like, one of my absolute favorite movies ever made. I don't. I can't even really explain why. I love The Aviator. I love, love, love The Aviator. I've seen it a million times. I think it's Leo DiCaprio's best performance. I. I think Kate Blanchett's great in, in it too. Um, she's playing Catherine Hepburn. See, I. Did, I'm a huge Kate Blanchett fan, and I disagree. I actually. I like the. We mo- talked about this. <clears throat> I like the movie a lot. I do not particularly care for her performance as Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. I. I weirdly, I. I. I think she's been way better, um, and it's weird. I, I always find it strange that this is one of the movies she's won an Oscar for, whereas with Blue Jasmine, I mean, for whatever baggage you want to put to Woody Allen pictures and what have you, she is so great in Blue Jasmine. The fact that she won an Oscar for it, when you talk about just the performance, makes a lot of sense to me, and I do think it's one of her best performances. But, I mean, The Missing, I think, is a stronger performance than her performance as Catherine Hepburn, though I do love it and I do love the movie. So, and then I guess you know we kind of talked about. So after you know the Aviator is a big moment for her. She wins the Oscar. She has a great little addiction movie called Little Fish that came out two years after that. She's in Babel, which is not a great movie. No, and she basically mm. is dying the whole time. So she's not really (laughs) giving much of a performance in that. Though I do think Brad Pitt is quite good in that movie. Um, She does the thing we've all wanted to do. Get angry at Brad Pitt. (laughs) For for literally hours. Hours. (laughs) Just hold him in a room and be angry at him for hours. Um, She's in The Good German, 
which is Steven Soderbergh's kind of like anti-Casablanca, Casablanca movie. Yeah, his, his grand experiment. Sure. I, my relationship with The Good German is so, is so sad because I always – I watched it in college and I wanted to love it and I didn't. And then I know it's not very – I know it's like kind of a failed experiment, but every few years I'll see that poster and I'll be like, no, this movie's good. It's got to be good. And then I'll rewatch it and I'll be like, ah, it's not that good. I, I, love, it, I love Soderbergh and I've never made it through that movie. I usually get just, like half an hour yeah. in and I'm always like, I can't do it. I'm, it's a type of movie. I feel like Soderbergh has movies like this where you can see what he's doing right. and you can appreciate the swing and you're like, this should this should have went in, and I remember George Clooney like had a quote which I loved, where he was like, "Man, when we made the Good German, we really thought we were knocking it out of the park." <laughs> Look it up and spot just spot check me, but he has like a quote basically where like nobody saw the Good German when it came out, and I think you know George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh thought they were really making, you know, like a like a you know a more complicated Casablanca, and obviously that that didn't happen. And then Robin Hood. Karen's, Karen's favorite movie of all time. Uh, golly, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I am a sucker for a Robin Hood adaptation. Like, I love Prince of Thieves. Like, don't at me. But, like, there's something about, like, the whole, like, myth of Robin Hood that I just, like, really dig. And I really dig what, like, Ridley Scott was trying to do with this. Also, like, yes, I'm not an insane person. This is a big, like, Russell Crowe ego project. I get that. Uh, You know, and you can sort of look at the casting because all of Russell Crowe's, like, best friends are in this movie. I don't know if you're familiar with a little movie called Mystery Alaska, but, I mean, of course. But like, I only watch it every day. Uh, I personally really love it. but uh, I really love it too, actually. <laughs> I do think it's a very good movie. But like, he met uh, Kevin Durand and Scott Grimes on that movie. And he, they are in every single like Russell Crowe movie like yeah. after that. Anywhere he can fit them in. Anyways... This version of Robin Hood, uh, he is not playing Robin Hood. Uh, he's playing Robin Longstride, and it's not. And made and Kate Blanchett is made Marion, but she is a widow in this. She's not like this, yeah. like high and mighty, you know, like lady of the court. She's like rough. She's tumbled. She's out in Nottingham on the manor, getting things together. You know, she doesn't need anyone to like. She don't need these. no man. Uh uh-uh. uh. I mean, no, she don't need no man. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> and, and I guess her man is uh, Robert of Loxley, who uh, Russell Crowe and his merry men encounter uh, on the crusade. And he has just been, uh, he's almost dead because Mark Strong, like, I could talk forever about how awesome Mark Strong is, but he plays this guy, Godfrey, who basically wants to F up England and get a French invasion over there. So Robin is like, hey, man. Oh, not Robin. Robert. I get all these R's confused. Uh, Robert's like, hey, can you take is dying? And his like wish is can you take the sword back to my father? He's in Nottingham. And since you know, Russell's Robin is like a man of his word, he's like, sure, I'll take it back. And how he and the Merry Men get back is they like assume uh, Robert Loxley's identity to get you know on the ship across, and that's how he meets Marion. Oh. But like the whole crux of the movie is 
like Godfrey, the Mark Strong character, is trying to start, uh, you know, a civil war in England that the French can capitalize on and invade England. And Oscar Isaac wearing these whack contacts lenses is plays King John. And he, like Oscar Isaac, this is a very underappreciated Oscar Isaac I agree. role. Well, can I, tell you, can I tell you something I love about Oscar Isaac in this movie? Yes. Is they clearly design every, everything about his look to make him look like the fox from the animated version. <laughs> Go back. Yeah. I'm just saying, go back if you want to. You don't, you don't even need to watch the whole Robin Hood movie. Just watch a clip with Oscar Isaac and then go watch the Rob, the Disney Robin Hood with the foxes. And I promise you, you can tell Oscar Isaac is like doing his adaptation of that slimy character from the 1970s weird, amazing Robin Hood with the foxes animated movie. I like he's so I love Oscar Isaac in this yeah. movie. Yeah. It, it's it's great, but you know this ain't like the Robin Hood that we know. It's well, my yeah, my thing is this. It's not really a Robin Hood movie, right? I I think I tweeted this. It's basically Ridley Scott made a movie about the Magna Carta and <laughs> called it Robin Hood, and then at the end they're like, yeah, and then he becomes Robin Hood. But really, like you're saying, he's Robin Longstride. He's this like near dwell archer who has a crisis crisis of conscience and he delivers the crown and uh, Robert Loxley's sword back to England because Richard the Lionheart dies in battle. And he comes to find out from Max von Sydow, who is Walter Loxley, mm-hmm. right, who's Robert Loxley's father, that Robin Longstride's father basically <laughs> – wrote the first draft of the Magna Carta years before and the king had him killed for it. And so Robin Hood, in a fit of like wanting to like finish his father's legacy, basically like freeforms the Magna Carta in front of all of these landowners and then becomes Robin Hood because he's outlawed by... It's like, that's what the movie's about. The movie is about... And the movie is set, obviously, basically around 1200. 1215 is when the Magna Carta happened. So, like, Ridley Scott is making this historical epic, basically his third historical epic, if you, you know, Kingdom of Heaven, Gladiator, and this. It's a weird end to a trilogy that's bookended by Russell Crowe performances. And uh, it's just a strange movie. Kate Blanchett... Well, it's also a prequel. You know, they they intended to do a sequel that was going to be the Robin Hood tale we know. You know, the end of the movie, after he's sort of been exiled, they go into the forest, all the merry men come together, including the bandits that have been running around. That's weird to call this one Robin Hood then, but I guess you got to sell it somehow. That's true. That's the thing. I think they were just trying to sell it because they really should have called it like... Nottingham or Magna Carta well, this, or this sta- something else. This started initially, the original concept was there was a script going around that there was a, it was a version of Robin Hood in which Robin Hood was both Robin Hood and through a dissociative identity disorder, the sheriff of Nottingham. And it was right, called Nottingham. Yeah. And like somehow this movie evolved out of that. Right. And Matthew well, and it's went to play the- Nottingham. The Taron Edgerton Robin Hood looks like a weird MTV version of that script because 
the premise is that Robin Hood is a royal person who's also Robin Hood, and it, it, it looks. Uh, uh, Chef kiss. Mm, yeah, looks so good, right? Is that where you were going? <laughs> it looks so good. So so, this is what's funny. Good. This is what's funny about the the Cape Blanchett Russell Crowe Robin Hood. It comes out in May 2010. It's a summer release. It makes 320 million dollars worldwide and loses money because, like you said, there was a lot of development. They rewrote a lot of it. They, I think they they reshot some of it. That might not. I'm, I might need to get corrected on that. But it was a super kind of expensive process. So this kind of ended. I I would say if you were doing Russell Crowe B sides, this would be the end of Russell Crowe the movie star, right? I mean, if you were going to say L.A. Confidential was the beginning, this is probably the end, right? I don't know <laughs> that he after this really leads many big movies. Oh, no, it's it's true, you know. You know, he becomes more of like a, this in the next three days, both flop in 2010, and then he becomes like a supporting actor, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Kate Blanchett in this movie... Um, it, I, do, it doesn't adversely affect her career at all, though. She like, no. She's so sail, rolling. Yeah, she just sails out of it fine. And that's sort of, yeah. once again, what I mean by like this sort of brilliance of Kate Blanchett is like she, she like has uh, like a sterling... Uh, record that even when she rolls into a movie that's not considered a hit, she gets out of it. And she's just like, "Well, that happened. All right, on to my next thing." Oh, nothing weighs her down. No, and like she and Russell Crowe scenes are argue. I mean, the battle sequences are impressive, whatever. But their scenes together are really the heart of the movie. They do have great chemistry. I don't know if it's that Australian magic, <laughs> but they play off of each other really well. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. I mean, when he carries her at the end of the movie, when she's like in the chainmail armor, like I was like, I like that. <laughs> and I would, and I would recommend, and this is a common thing with Ridley Scott. I would recommend if you do want to rewatch this movie, um, the director's cut is about 20 minutes longer, and obviously it's a long movie, so know that. But <laughs> kind of like with all of Ridley Scott's director's cuts, it's better. I mean, there's more in the story. You know, uh, it feels like a full, fuller tale. Um, I definitely came away with a, a greater appreciation for the whole thing. Um, so I would just say if you're going to – if you if you want to kind of revisit, um, you you know seek out the director's cut, and I think you'll find more to more to pull from. Um, you know, not unlike I mean, look, Kingdom of Heaven director's cut. I always say is, I mean that you know uh, is also one of my favorite uh, movies. I, I I think if I th- this sounds crazy, and and I'm gonna probably get sneered at because we were we were digging on Legolas earlier. It's a, it's okay. Neither of us are on video, so. But I think that if. Ridley Scott's director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven had gotten released in theaters, Orlando Bloom's career is completely different. I agree with you, I re- actually. I, re- I agree with I really, you. I really believe that. Yeah, I mean, he's not amazing as an actor, but in that movie, it, it's a fully formed emotional performance. And I think in the theatrical cut, it's it's just cut to shit, and, and it makes it feel like a weak performance as opposed to a complicated one. So anyway, yeah. that's for another time. But... um. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the thesis of Kate Blanchett is, like, she's Teflon. She can't get Right. I know. I feel, I, feel, I feel like she is such Teflon that we just sat here and talked about five of her, like, movies that are not as good. And we ended up on so many different tangents because <laughs> even with 
that her like them not being that great like it's hard to be like oh yeah no she's phoning it in or like she you know she she chose this project because it was easy like I think she does throw herself into these things full thrust. Oh, yeah, falls to the wall. Yeah, and even if it is like a showy performance, like you mentioned in, in Pushing Tin for a small role, like that's how she's gonna play it. I feel like I almost feel like you, if if you were ever a director who was like, if you're one of those directors who tell feels that you're comfortable telling your actors they're playing something wrong, and you did that to Kate Blanchett, you would never be found ever. <laughs> You would disappear yeah. from the face of the earth. <laughs> exactly. It would be like you had never been a born. Yeah. She she's yeah, she's Teflon. That's a perfect way to describe her. And I think, you know, as we're recording this, uh, uh the the house with a clock in its walls is about to come out. It's getting pretty good reviews as as it's kind of being released. Great. Um, I have to deal with Eli Roth for more years. You know, it's a, it's an Eli Roth <laughs> He's uh, never Eli Roth family movie. <laughs> He will be here forever. Um, and I think it's cool. He's uh, To your point, I think it's cool she made a mom movie, movie for the kids. I think she's been doing that lately with Cinderella and, like we and, said, with Thor Ragnarok. And she's so good in Cinderella. The, the, yeah. yeah. Well, and, like, again, like, mom choice is not a bad thing. And it's no. not. It's just, like, you want to make a movie for your kids. I would call, you know, Jack Black making the same movie a dad movie. He yeah. wants his kids to 100%. see his work. Yeah, yeah. So just make that very clear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No. And he's sort of been in that mode, too. Like, not to get off on the Jack Black topic, but, like, Goosebumps, Jumanji, this, like, yeah. the I I get it. You get to a certain age, you're a parent, you want your kids to be able to... You want your kids to be proud of the thing that you do as well. And so... So what do we want to see Miss Kate Blanchett do next? Um, a Carol sequel? No. <laughs> I well, I, as like, as you can tell from my picks, I love a rough and tumble yeah. Kate. I like her on top of a horse. I like her bossing people around. I would love to see her in another sort of epic because I think she still has that. I, I would, I would actually, I would go for another Kate Blanchett Western. I know <laughs> Westerns aren't big again. Like they had that brief resurgence and now they're, but like, I don't know, you put you put Kate Blanchett in like a there will be blood sort of Daniel Plainview role, which I think she is meaty enough that she could really sink her teeth into. And yeah. I think she could pull that off. So what I think needs to happen is Bandits 2. <laughs> They're still together. They're still making waves across the country. You get Billy Bob back. You get Troy Garrity back. You get January Jones. You get those- <laughs> But this time Bruce is bald. He's accepted that he's been wearing a wig and it's all fine. And then there's a new problem and the love triangle recommences. That would be amazing. And just a new U2 song. You know, just get them. <laughs> no, no, not a new U2 song. Even get them better. To score it. And then it all just shows up on our iPods it's, one day, it's our just, iPhones. It's just the same beautiful day again. <laughs> yeah, another beautiful day. That's, you know. Um, so with that in mind, with that, with Bandits 2 being the thing that the three of us all equally are clamoring for, I think we've agreed on that. Um, let's, uh, let's, I guess, tell people about ourselves before we sign off. Gavin, where can people find you? What do you do that's cool? Um, as you mentioned before, I'm an editor and I, I edit lots of things for lots of different big companies and they're all, you've seen my stuff. Let's be honest. And um, on top of that, I co-host a bi-weekly film podcast called The Mixed Reviews with my friend Louie, where we take a 
actor or director or film subject, and we sort of dissect it and tell you what we like and what we don't like, and it's fun. They're long episodes, but we only do it bi-weekly, so we do, we do full histories of careers, so it's definitely, you know, if you want to brush up on a subject, it's a pretty good resource. And I've been a guest on that podcast. You have. You are dearly. You are very still very our fun. only guest. Of, Which um, I love. Yeah. yeah, what an honor. <laughs> I, I consider it a, gr- a grand honor. Karen, what about yourself? Where can we find you oh, in the world? golly. I don't do anything. That's not I, true. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, if you follow The Decider on... Um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You'll see my fingerprints all over it. Uh, I guess my social handle is Kenobi Bear, like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Care Bear, but take that together. You can tell that was my AIM screen name back <laughs> in eighth grade, and I've just kept it. I have a more embarrassing one I'll tell you about later. So. <laughs> I love that you've rolled with it forever, though. I think that's impressive that you just kept it. Well, that's, you're owning it. I, I own it, and you know, like now I'm like, golly, I should have taken my, my name because that's how you do it these days. Yeah. You know, if you want to become an influencer yeah, no, or have your voice matter. Well, I was going to say we're in a post shame world. Uh-huh. So. That's true. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm around the old interwebs. I would have, Karen, I would, I would have loved if you were like, you can find me at 37th Street. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you uh, know, if you go to a movie theater in Manhattan, chances are I'll be there. Yeah, you see everything. Karen, you are. I try. You, you see it all. You do, and you, and you succeed. Well, thank you both for talking to Kate Blanchett with me. Um, I think... We can all agree she's a queen who can do it all. And I think it's great that we, we've we dissected that even the ones that are forgotten um, are gems in their own right, if only because she is adding something to them. Um, you can find me at the film stage. Um, I like that you said that like a question as though it's not the uh, website that you founded that does incredibly well. <laughs> the film stage? The film stage? Our next B-side subject will be Miss Anne Hathaway, and it's looking like we will do the recording live at the Buffalo International Film Festival in October, where I will be premiering a short of mine that I directed and also meeting up with some, hopefully some film stage fans up there in Buffalo and um, other filmmakers and uh, might have a couple of film stage writers on the next podcast as guests to talk about uh, Miss Hathaway. So looking forward to that. Will you be using the Mixed Reviews episode on Anne Hathaway as a resource? Uh, I probably will, Gavin. Excellent. Uh, we do an entire history. Just saying. Thank you both for being here. And to all of those listening, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.